Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. In this episode, Lucas and his technician Terry sit down with Kent and Cecil Bullard of the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence, recorded live at Apex 2022. Here we go. Okay, first question for you two. Gentleman in ASOG this morning says he has a service advisor, Cecil, who this service advisor, his dad, is in the last few years of his life or a few months of his life. And he's explained that um, service advisor is going to have to do a week on, a week off to handle dad in the end of his days. How do we handle that? That is a super touchy situation. How do we? I, I think there's a, it depends. Okay. And I think everything depends on the service advisor. Okay. If this is a guy that's been with you for a little while and he's been doing a good job, okay. family's too important. When yeah. dad's dead, dad's gone. Yeah. And there's no more time with dad. Right. And I got to tell you, man, I I left my dad's shop because we couldn't come to terms. And uh, for about five years, we didn't talk okay. after working together every day for 17 years. Okay. And then uh, we got back together and we had a couple of years left, but he died. Yeah. And I got to tell you right now, it's... If, if this were my service advisor, and he was a good service advisor, and he'd been a loyal employee, I'd be working a week on, week off, right in service for a while. Right. Until dad passed away or until another decision was made. Right. And if he wasn't a good employee, then I'd probably let him go. Okay. I mean, you know, and I'd tell him, you know, go spend the time with your dad. Right. There's right. some interesting... Um, if you have a, if you become a caregiver, there's some government things in different states and federally that you can get paid to take care of your relative. So let me ask you this: you you say if he was or was not a good service advisor? I mean, I mean a good employee. I mean, obviously, a good employee would also probably be a decent service advisor. You know, okay. worth worth hanging on to. Is this guy worth hanging on to? What What does a good employee look like? Comes to work every day. Um, doesn't give you too much crap. Okay. You know, shows up ready to go to work, listens, follows the process, holds the margins, cares about the shop, is a part of the culture. You know, I mean, you know about culture. I oh, mean, yeah. does the guy fit in your business or does he not? Yeah. You know, we have this um, thing in the industry where they have the tech that's the grumpy, grouchy. Yeah. But he produces a lot. And so a we, lot just, sh- we just tolerate it. Just, just had a conversation with a good friend of mine, all right? 
and 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 I I can't say too much because everybody will know exactly who I'm talking about. But he said, listen, uh, some some folks applied for a job in the new shop, and I mentioned to him that a person had applied, and he said, let me tell you something. He said, um, I'm aware that that is a cancer in my shop. He said, but he's a producer. And he said, I've, I've even gotten this person an apprentice. I've gotten this person additional help. I've done all this stuff. And this person wants to sit and play on their phone and do all this stuff. He said, I, I can't lose them because it's too hard to find text. I just got to tell you, um, if you've got staff that cares about your business, keep those guys because those guys will pick up the slack until you find the next guy. Right. I've done it multiple times where I had to get rid of somebody because they didn't fit in the culture. They were grumpy, grouchy, whatever, and they were good producers. Right. But you can't have someone around that's unhappy 24-7. So you think if that's the case, he should probably be removed? Yes. Yeah. That, that I mean, the damage it can do to the good employees in your business is too, too much of a risk. And yeah. then if you're giving him an apprentice and he's the grumpy, grouchy guy, what's the apprentice? What kind of experience is the apprentice getting? Right. Right? I mean, right. you can't... It's... No, no. And I'm not saying this service advisor has to write, you know, 150000 a week or a month or whatever. Right. I think if you have someone that fits in your culture and they've been a loyal employee. Right. Care about your company. They're passionate about the career with your business and, and want to continue that for life if, they, if they're if they a lifer. You know? willing, so, willing to train, you know. Well, so let me ask you this. As a business owner, right, I, I look at it and say, man, I really agree. Right, I, I would never let somebody go, but a lot of the business owners that we know are not in a position to be able to do that. Right, and and the reason I say that is because they're they're probably working in the shop, or they're they're so busy they're writing service too. And you could give and, the guy a leave of absence, but well, then if you fill the spot when he comes back, you don't have a spot. Well, how how do you get to a point A that you're profitable enough to be able to pay somebody that? I mean, and, and you and I both know the answer to that. You, <laughs> well, you just I set know, me up, brother. I know, but but I mean, let's think about this, right? Because a lot of shops, the the reason they're saying that they can't do that is because man, I, they don't want to come out and say I don't have you any can't money. Afford to help out an employee when that employee needs you the most, then your shop, you better make some major changes in your business in your right. business model I mean number one get the right kind of help get somebody that can help you make profit in your business and I'm, I right. don't mean 5% I right. mean 20% or more right. out of your company you know raise your rate if you have to whatever uh, hire a temporary person to come in and, and fill some of the gap how much money should we have in reserve though Right? Three so, months worth of operating capital if I did not do one job. I could pay all the employees and all the bills for three months. Okay. That's a lot and of that, money, Cecil. That's a hundred grand for most shops at least. And that's a minimum. What are you seeing shops have in their account right now? You know, it's it, it's really funny because you meet these new guys. that's never They've never had coaching and consulting training. And you're like, okay, we need uh, we need some marketing. And they're like, I don't have any money. And so you, I just had this happen. I said, well, what do you have in the bank? Right. About a thousand bucks. And you can't you can't run a business on a thousand dollars in the bank. And no. And then you have, I mean, I know guys that when when we start with companies, one of the things that we do is shortly in, we're like, okay, we need to start a savings account. And I mean. Yeah. A savings account that is only emergency use. 
So it's not when you see a shiny new truck, you want to go buy a truck. Lucas and I have been telling you about parts tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your parts tech account, go to my shop and click on the rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. Right. And and so, you know, we start like, uh, can we put 500 bucks a week in? No, we can't. Well, how about 300? No. Okay, 100 bucks a week, savings account first. Right. And you'd be surprised how fast that adds up. Yeah. You know, and then yeah. as, as we improve the business, improve margin, then we go to 200, 300, 400, 500 until we're putting right. a couple of grand a month away. Yeah. And, and, and it's not that hard to build up 100 grand no. when you're profitable. Right. I mean, you got to be feeling the pinch. I mean, how much money oh, yeah. you spend on your building. Well, and, and, and that's just it. I mean, like total, I, I, I think we got 700 and some thousand from the bank. Right, and so total the building's going to be over two million. Yeah. Right, and so especially right here towards the end, right, we closed for ASTE. Yeah, the week before that we were off, and so like if I drop below fifty thousand in my two accounts, I'm nervous. Oh yeah, I, yeah, I'm, you should be. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat, and yeah. so there were a couple of weeks that we dropped below fifty thousand. I'm like, oh, I don't like this. This feels really uncomfortable because I don't have any room or any margin. And you know what's so weird about that is that just. Ten years ago, I mean, if fifty thousand was, was like we're rich. I know if I was below, <laughs> if I was below two or three thousand dollars, yeah, that's when I started to get nervous. Yeah, right. And so you, I, I, I think it's unconscious incompetence, right? Like you don't even realize how dangerous that is. You don't realize it. But now that you know your numbers, you know how the business works. Now you know where your danger limits are yeah and now you get nervous when you should be getting nervous right and and you know we talk about that sometimes we talk about the, the taking care of clients if you don't have the money to take care of the clients and we, we were talking about other shops calling shops ripoffs oh yeah right? yeah we, and, they, those guys need to get shot yeah i mean i'm sorry but somebody needs to whack them in the head with something a stick something right well i mean that, that's what i'm saying is is you're over here charging what you need to charge and they say no They've you're got not. two grand in the bank, and they're worried about paying their payroll on Friday. Yeah. And they're raising their price to do that for a customer, for a job that two weeks ago they charged them $300 less. Exactly. And and they're the ones that are calling you a ripoff because you build value for your customers, and they pay right. enough that you make what you feel is a fair profit. 
Right. And, I mean, and, that's crazy. And and so it, 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 it would be the equivalent of me going to a steakhouse and getting a, you know, uh, the difference between a sirloin and a ribeye, right? Like, I... I Why would anybody eat a sirloin when they can have a ribeye? They got to be smoking crack is all I know. I mean... I mean, that's terrible. Who would want to do that? So I I agree with you in the the sense that, you know, as an industry, it's this other thing that you and I were talking about, and that is, I think the haves and the have-nots are separating even further. We have a lot of shops that are just not getting it done, and they're going to disappear because they can't keep up with technology. They can't afford to. Yeah. And and it's all because we don't value ourselves as an industry. Right. You know, we should be, we should easily be 250 an hour today in, in Arkansas and $350 an hour in California. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. Okay. But, but here's my question. Terry and I were talking about this earlier. Okay, so he's talking about the fact that we're, um, you know, he, he came from a chain store and he worked for the chain store. And we're talking about all of the issues that the chain store caused. Right. And all of the things that happened. And and we're talking about the fact that th- they lost entire staffs four or five times. Yeah. A year. Right. And clients still pour into them. Well, again, so. Do I want and and they're they're obviously still making money, right? Yeah, at least enough money that they stay in the game, right? Okay, so you know you kind of said I'm not a big chain store fan, right? I'm and, not either. And the reason why is because generally, not mm-hmm. always, and I think you got to be careful about saying always, right? But generally, the service goes down, the employees don't care as much, and they're running through client after client, but they're marketing, they're spending two, three, maybe even ten times more than the average shop owner spends on marketing to keep their base full. Right. Okay? Yep. And those customers aren't necessarily... Like, if you went to one of our shops, your shop, and I said, okay, what's your stick rate? Right? How many of those first-time customers come back a second or a third time? You'd probably tell me 60, maybe higher. Right? Right. 60% or higher. But at a chain store, in most cases, I'll bet, and I don't, I don't have the figures, right. but I'll bet that number's below thirty percent. Okay. So just constant churn. Yeah. Constant churn. If you look at, like, if you look at employees that are posting about certain chains, right? They hate it. They literally hate the chain. Nobody cares about them. You know, they're just there. Uh, you know, they're filling a spot. They get a check. Nobody gives a crap. Right. Heck, I was talking to somebody the other day who basically said, you know, I, I, I had a job offer and I went in to talk to the guy and he said, I can replace you tomorrow with somebody cheaper. Terry, how does that relate to your experience in a chain store? That's a very real thing. You know, because like I was saying earlier, that there's a demand for people you know, and if there's something that they don't like about you, they can replace you pretty easily in those places because they don't have the culture or the morale that a shop like ours does. But you know, right. they spend so much money into training and getting people up to the speed where they're profitable in the business that that churn is almost wasted, right? Yeah. They're wasting all of that time and energy in that one employee who might leave them in three to six months, right? Yeah. 
And I think this brings it back to that service advisor you're talking about. Is this somebody who's going to be a lifer? And if they are, and I've invested in training and I've invested in developing them as a, not only as a service advisor, but as a person and help them grow. Um, and I'm presented with this opportunity to help them out. I mean, why, why do we get into business in the first place? Right. Well, and I mean, I, I think about that, right? Like I want to help people, right? That's why, yeah. that's why I got into business. I, 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 I've said this before, and I'm going to get myself in trouble saying this, but I'll say it anyway. I, I, I heard a coach one time say, you're not building a family, you're building a business. And I, to that, say, these guys are my family, right? We spend more time with these people yeah. than our own families. I care about these And people. if you don't have a good culture in your business, it's going to cost you in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. Including, I mean, years ago, I worked really, really hard to build three shops. Yeah. And I got them. And I had a partner that stole a bunch of money. Right. And when I got done with that, I sold the shop. I gave one away and I closed one. And when I got done with that, I said, I'm not working in a place that I don't enjoy anymore. Right. Ever again. I'm not working with people that I don't enjoy. So we spend a lot of time and effort with our own employees to make sure that, that, that we care, they understand that we care about them. We want them to be happy. Right. right. I think that's... I think it's important that we do that, and it's not just about the money. I well, mean, you can make plenty of money, and, and by the way, the funny thing is, people that care about where they work right. will go out of their way and perform much higher than people that don't give a crap. Well, so it, it comes back around to another post that was in ASOG just today, and they were talking about side work, and they were talking about a technician who was doing side work, right? What, what are your thoughts on side work? I allowed my technicians to work in my shop after hours on their direct related relatives' cars. Okay. Grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, uh, uh, son, uh, daughter, brothers, sister. Okay. That's it. If you did side work and I found out, I would have terminated you. Okay. Let me explain. We're in an industry that is $100 below where they need to be. Yep. Why do you think that is? We got a bunch of guys doing side work, working out of their garage for 60 bucks an hour, and they're making tons of money. Yep. You know, learning. They learn from me. I send them to classes. They learn what they got to do. They buy tools. I get it. But now they're, they're working for 60 bucks. And and they're screwing the whole industry. So right. I have a real I have a real like my I see red when yeah. someone says I got this guy doing side work. Right. And I just don't think we ought to allow that. If that guy wants to be in business, let him get a business license. Let him get insurance and and pay taxes and all the other crap that I've gotta charge in order to stay in business. I mean do you want to compete against five guys in your neighborhood that are 60 bucks an hour because they have no expenses? But no. they come home and work for four or five hours a night and whoop out three, 400 bucks? Yep. And, and can, can close the doors tomorrow with no responsibility. None at all. And, and so there, there is a group on Facebook, okay? And I want to be careful because I don't want to throw shade, okay? I've talked about them a couple of times. But they're they're suggesting sh technicians go and do work on the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's they're, a oh, man. that's a big mistake, frankly. If you can't pay your tech, 
then you're not doing the right thing in your business well, so enough th that they don't have to do side work. Th this is a this is a group for technicians, right? And they're they're convincing them to go and just start doing side work and start their own businesses. Um, Great. One, one of the big beefs that I had with that was that they were recommending <laughs> um, they offer a tool program where you can buy tools. And they have financing through their tool program where Wonderful. these technicians can buy it. Yeah. And and I can't help but think that there's a chance that they might be getting a kickback either through the financing oh, or I'm through sure the tool. Oh, I'm sure they're making money oh, off of it. Everybody's, it, and, it scares me how pay-to-play is so much in our industry. It's a scary. And and so we we dig in, and there there was somebody that, that was talking about that organization the other day, and all these people came in and started commenting. They're like, hey, that financing company is not doing what they said they were going to do. They're charging us way more than they said. Hey, the interest rate's 95 to 100%, 120%, yeah. 200%. And, and they're saying, well, it's okay. No, it's okay because, see, he didn't have the credit. Now he's able to make that money back because he's working on cars that he wouldn't have been able to work on before. And I'm over here like, listen, that's not how this works. So I that promise. Can, so that the, the finance company can get rich? Is that what you want to do? Well, I mean, it, let, let's think about it like this, right? If he was... If the technician was not financially responsible enough to have a good enough credit score that he could go get financing to get the tool in the first place, what's the chance that he pays that off in an interest-free period? It's pretty low, right? How many how many guys do you know, uh, techs that worked for you over the years that were snap-on poor? A bunch. Okay. A bunch. And, a bunch. And, and that and okay, so I get to pay a hundred bucks a week or fifty dollars a week or whatever, but the interest is super high. Yeah. And. Um, you know, and then they get upset because they're not "quote unquote" making enough money, but they have a snap-on payment that is—they got to have the big toolbox. Yeah. I mean, we we have a thing, and I'm a, I'm a part of it. I got a nice truck, and yeah. you know, if I want something, I go buy it. Yeah. But we, yeah. So let's go back to the the original that that I'm I'm always happy to help any new shop owner. If you're going to take on the responsibility of owning a shop, paying employees, rent, you know, utilities, right. uh, FICA, workers' comp, all of that, I will help anybody. I'll give anybody a free hour. Right. Never, never. I've, I've had so many guys call me and say, hey, Cecil, I just want to talk to you. What are you going to charge? Nothing. Okay. Right. So, yeah, I probably shouldn't announce that. But, <laughs> but. But I'm always willing to help. But if you want to do side work out of your, out of your garage at your house, right, and steal from my family and my business and my industry, I ain't for it. Right. Well, and your mean, fellow team members too. It, it hurts the business. It hurts everyone else. It's the whole thing. I'm really passionate about. We need to be running our businesses right as an industry. Yeah. We need to have some kind of standards as an industry in order to be a shop owner, in order to be a tech. Right. And today, we have none. And that's kept us down as an industry. So, but, but what about the shop? So let's say, that, let's say that Terry here, who's one of my technicians, let's say Terry wants to go start a shop tomorrow. Great. Help him out. And, and, and I agree. Yeah. Right? And he knows that. If 10, he ever, 15 miles away, 20 miles away. Right? Hey, if I was going to, uh, we talked about this. If I was going to MSO, yeah. that would be my strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This well, a lot of MSO yours. guys are, yeah. Yeah, this would be yours. This, this is yours. Do whatever, you know. But, but if Terry went out tomorrow to start a shop, and he started it, and he didn't have insurance, and he didn't have service information, and he wasn't paying those taxes, 
And he wasn't doing all of those things. And, and David brought this up last week, and he was talking about the risk, right? And he was saying, if you are that much cheaper than everybody else, and you're making it okay, right? Like, you're getting along okay, but you're charging 40% less than everybody else. You're missing something. You, you've you got to be missing something, because if you don't have... I don't think anybody that has a shop today understands the, the risk that they're in. I know. Because if if my guy forgets to tighten the lug nuts and that wheel feels falls off and that person dies or someone else dies, not only is it gonna bother me for the rest of my life, yeah, but I'm gonna get sued and it's they're gonna settle for millions. Yeah. Millions. They're gonna walk away with everything you thought you'd have. Yeah. Even if you got a corporation, you're still a risk. Right. And I mean and, and so I see that, right? Like I see a lot of shops that don't have insurance. I mean, I'm talking about, I'm, I'm talking about hundreds of shops that do not have garage keepers. Yeah, is that scary or what, dude? That is terrifying. I could like, not just not just for them, but for even just the industry <clears throat> as a whole. And then you hear these stories about how someone took their car in and they charged them a whole lot of money and then the car didn't run right and they ripped them off and blah blah blah. Yeah, I would tell you. In most cases, that's not intentional. In right. most cases, that's because the guy got in deeper than he could, and he couldn't support what he already did. Right. Okay. So yeah, you're missing out, and you're and worse than that, you're holding an entire industry back. You're you're holding the rest of us hostage in a sense. I mean, you. I, I know that. Terry, what do you? Th- you know, you're a technician. What do you think when you hear this conversation? Well, learning more about the responsibilities of the business itself, you know, because you know, like we were discussing earlier, um, you know, my primary focus is in the service bank. What I'm doing, I don't really know a whole lot about what goes on behind the scenes. But as I'm getting exposure to these things and conversations that we're having and learning more about it, you know, I don't know that I'd want to start my own business but you know like if you're you know wanting to do mso like you're talking about i would be more game to help you expand right and, and just run a store for you versus trying to start my own just because there's so much involved there is and i i that's what worries me about that group right mm-hmm. and we've talked about that before we've talked about it privately and you know the group i'm talking about but mm-hmm. it, it's what worries me about that group is because they're misleading people who think, you know, it's like ASOG, right? ASOG's a 501c3. Nobody makes any money. It's not what we're about. But one of the things that we've learned, and, and history has repeated itself time and time and time and time again. If it, if it happened 100 times in 6,000 members, it'd be one thing. But the fact that it's happened thousands of times in 6,000 members says something. When you look at every single one of these guys that was a technician that became a shop owner and never learned the job of shop owner. It's um, it's an industry-wide problem. I wonder if it has to deal with transparency. Either the owner's not being open enough about what it takes to run the business with the techs or... How many owners know, do we mistaken, have... But that won't share their profit uh, numbers with their people. Yeah. Well, profit's not a good thing. 
profits you, you a should great feel bad thing. about profit. No, you shouldn't. Once you decide <laughs> no, what that, a reasonable profit is. That's like the consensus, is. though, yeah. is that it's like, hey, if you're making a profit, you're ripping people off. Yeah. And that's not true. Exactly. All business is made for profit. Well, I think there's If you don't a, want to be profit, then open up a, a charity. A, a charity. Non- or, yeah. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of guys in our business who, uh, if they have to admit that you can make money in this industry, then the last 25 years of their life has been wasted. Right. And they don't want to admit that. That's... It's true. How? Let me ask you this then, okay? How do I take Terry and educate Terry? Because the the things that we've talked about, Terry, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. <laughs> um, the things that we've talked about a lot, right? Or a, we've got to educate them about business financials. Mm-hmm. But I've I've really thought about the fact that I want to make sure that. I'm teaching Terry to be financially responsible, right? And, and that's that's one of the things that David said in our one of our last podcasts that I thought was amazing. He's getting them a financial counselor to help right. them understand money and and live better lives. I mean, that's he wants, brilliant. He that's wants brilliant. his people to, to make you know to have a million dollars in the bank. Absolutely, all of them. Absolutely, right? the guy and who won't who won't talk about a number. <laughs> Right. Has a hell of a number for his people. Yeah. But I think that's, I think we have to teach all of our people that about money and about life so that we can yeah. help them be good em- employees and good people. I, I, and, and Terry knows I'm not talking about him, so I can say this, but I, I've talked about the fact that, that I have seen technicians in the past who they always needed more money. Yeah. Uh, they always needed more money. They that, always. That's just poor uh, money management. Right. It doesn't matter how much they're making, they're they're not gonna it's never gonna be enough. But so the owner the owner doesn't learn how to share that with them, right? Because that's gotta be an open and, and conversation. They probably are scared to share that with them because if I tell them how to be financially pros, you know, prosperous, right. they'll go open up their own shop and they won't continue exactly. to work with but, me. But not everybody's an entrepreneur. But I think this is the this is one of the key facts is that your people need to Understand why you charge what you charge. I cannot tell you yeah. how many shops I've gone in, interviewed the techs, and they say we're slow because we charge too much. And these oh. are shops that are 70, 80 bucks an hour when the average shop I got is 170. Right. 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 And, and my shops that are charging 170, $180 an hour, they're the busy ones. Right. right? And, and you try to help techs understand the cost of doing business so they feel comfortable with. $170 an hour because we should at least be that. But but then on the flip side you've got you've got other coaching companies that are teaching like charge less, do the cheapest job you can, get them in, 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 just get them to approve one thing, just get them in, Tell get them, them yes in, all the time. Tell them yes no matter how many other people you said yes to today. I don't know, man. I really right. hate making promises I can't keep. Dude, I it do too. I got I got to tell you in if I were king of the forest, if I were king of the forest, right. I'd, I'd get rid of those guys, the coaches and the and the shops that don't get it. And and I know that's harsh and all of that. Right. But when you're teaching our industry to discount and give stuff away just to stay busy, busy is not profit. And that's one of the big problems we have in our industry. Guys think if they're busy all day long, they're making profit. Because we're a cash flow industry, right? And they do not understand that profit is what's left after cash flow, right? 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 
Well, and, and but but what do we say to those who say, yeah, but I've I've built five stores, I've built six stores, I'm on know, on whose on whose back, right? And that that's my feeling, right? Because we know who on whose back it was. Yeah, right. And and the thing is, is that that but and don't get me wrong, I got a lot of multi shop owners in my groups, and these are great guys that pay their people really well and take care of everything. This is not. Just because you're a multi-shop owner doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. Right. Of okay. course. Of course. But, I mean, I, I guess my point is is it's like um, it's shifting it's shifting morals. It's shifting ethics. Right? And so if, if you're a figurehead, right, if, if I got up here and, and, you know, we've got the podcast and the people who listen to us and I started saying something that was blatantly wrong that I didn't believe with or believe, and, and it, it didn't start as me just coming right out and saying it. It was, I shifted my belief over time, right? Maybe. Or it could be that I just come right out and say it, and I begin to say something that I, that, that is not right, okay? And the people who listen to me begin to say, you know what? He's right, right? So I've shifted that. I would call you. I understand. <laughs> I would hope you would call me, right? But, but that's my point. Is so... Some of the people that do that, if they if they get up there and they say that, those people that are listening, and and look, I'll get into a personal story, okay? When I was very young, 14, 15, somewhere in there, I had a family member introduce me to meth, okay? Now, at the time, it didn't seem like anything was wrong because this person, why would they lead me down the wrong road? I trusted Somebody this trusted. person. Yeah. Why would they do that, right? And so it was not a wise decision. And I'm not even sure to this day that they thought it was a wise decision. I'm sure at this point they look back and think that was probably a bad idea, right? But we all make mistakes. We all. But my point is, is that because I trusted that person, they had influence over me, right? How to win friends and influence people. Influence comes with a lot of responsibility. Absolutely. And frankly... There are people everywhere, not just in our industry, who have lots of influence, who only care about themselves. Yeah. And I'm not for it. I cannot second that. I, I or agree. Or support it in any way. I agree. But so how how do we handle that? Because, it, you know, you've heard David's bread truck analogy. I tell it on almost every podcast, right? And, and so you got the 10% who would steal the piece of bread just to steal the piece of bread. You got the 10% who would bring the bread back to the bread truck because he dropped it, even if they were starving. And you got 80% of everybody else who says, eh, I'm somewhere in the middle. And I'll move based on the situation, the conditions of which are in front of me. Right? I, don't, I don't know that I agree with the 10% and 10%, but yes, in every bell curve, there's always going to be people on the front, people on the back, and people in the middle. Right. And, and so if these people are moving, does that make sense? In other words... Yeah. If, if, Adjusting their ethics based on situation. Right. A, is it because they've not clearly defined the ethics? Is it because they believe that, that they see information or, or... There's trickery everywhere. I mean, you know, um, I don't want to get into religion or any of that right. stuff. But there's, there's a lot of dishonesty in the world... And we need to be aware and have a solid foundation of which to make good decisions with yeah. 
And a lot of people, frankly, didn't get that foundation from either a mentor or their family or their parents or whatever. It just didn't happen. The truth is not an easy thing to take in all the time. Right. And it's a lot easier to be sold something that makes you feel good than sold something that is painful but is good for you. We, we struggle as a company because I always say, I'm going to tell you what you need to know and not what you want to know. And there are some other people out there who I believe, and I'll say that, I could be wrong. I mean, I, right. I'm also right. a human being, but I believe they're telling people what they want to hear. Right. And so they're very popular right now, and I think time is the test. Well, you know, Dutch has brought this up before. We, we've talked about this, and we've we've had a number of messages. And, and Dutch and I don't always agree on every single level, but we've gone back and forth on this. Yeah. And he, he points out that that they some of these people doing this right they had really strong ethics and they they started a shop because they had beliefs they wanted to help people they wanted to have a great product they wanted to fix cars the best of anybody out there and then somebody told them something different and they said hey just try this one thing right like put all your text on flat rate right put all your text on flat rate and you know lower their pay and, and then you don't have to worry about whether or not you're busy exactly and and so or now productive and now that shop, what what happens? Well, I'm making a lot more money, right? So the pocketbook feels better. So on whose back? I turn. Well, over. I know, but I'm saying you you start to see results. They see results, and so the results speak to them. But they never come back full circle to consider why they got results and who paid for the results. We need to have a an industry where. And David will get on my ass, but you could start out at sixty, seventy thousand as a training technician, mm-hmm. and we need our master techs to be making one hundred fifty to two hundred thousand. I agree. And until we get some standards in our industry, period, yeah. we're going to have guys working out of their garage, no liability insurance, no. They're not going to be paying for other stuff, and they're going to be competitive in a financial way, and the consumer is the one who's going to suffer because they're not getting the product that most shops would deliver. So, at the end of the day, That's going to bite me. Someone's going <laughs> to... At the end of the day, right? And this is something Terry and I talked about earlier. They've been around for a long time. Yep. The, those shops and those guys doing the side work and those shops doing the unethical things and those coaching companies teaching unethical things have been around for years and they sleep fairly soundly is it still possible for us to improve our industry or is it a pipe dream I gotta tell you I've been trying for going on 40 years now I started with the ASCCA in uh, 92 40 years right 30 years and or maybe it was 82 um, in California trying to improve the industry. It's been my life's mission. Right. And so I sure as hell hope it's not a pipe dream. But if I can change a few lives right. before I leave this existence right. so that they're better off, right. then I think my time here was valuably spent. Have you seen the needle move? Yeah, I think so. Right? I right. mean, when I... You know, we see today I have some shops that are well over 200 an hour. Okay. And uh, there's not a lot. And my average shop is, like I said, probably around 170, 165. Okay. And uh, that's probably 30 or 40% higher than an industry average. Okay. 
And so, yeah, the needle has moved. There's more. That's one of the things I worry about because I think there's more better shops and worse shops. Okay. And there's not as many in-between shops. Right. So I think that's one of the things I concern myself. But, yeah, I've seen the needle move. It's just, you know, I'm a, a perfectionist who wants everything to be right. And so it's a frustration that the needle hasn't moved more. So when you're, when we, so why do you still do the podcast? Because With all, I, the, all the crap you get from people telling you that you're not a decent shop, you're ripping people off because you're making a profit because, and can afford that nice building. Because I know that I'm doing the right thing. Yeah, me too. Right. And so let me, let me ask you this. There's, there's metrics for a shop that we look at and we say, hey, good bad yeah right i mean duh it's right pretty easy to and, tell and and you've been you've been doing it I've, I've been around shops i've been in your classes i've been in other classes pretty pretty quick to see if a shop's doing well or if a shop's doing poorly do we have metrics for our industry is there and and do you have coaching metrics that when you look at your organization and you look at the industry as a whole do we have a way to measure our progress? You know, it's, kind of, it's kind of funny because, you know, we started this thing called CAMP, Coalition of Automotive Management Professionals, a bunch of coaches, not all, all right. of them, because some of the guys, they don't want to play with other guys, other people. Right. And when I say guys, I mean men and women. I'm not, yeah, of course. I'm not being gender specific. Um, but one of the funny things was about it is I don't want anybody teaching me or telling me how to coach. Right. I mean, I learned from people I trusted yeah. who helped me be a very successful business and run multiple successful businesses. Right. If somebody came in and said, you can't teach that or you need to teach this, I'd be like, up yours. Right. I mean, that's the nice thing about capitalism in America. Yeah. You can do what you yeah. want to do. Right. Right. Well, you know, I, I look at, I look at um, if, if you do any research on marketing funnels. Right. Yep. Do a lot of that. Right, and and there's a lot of people who use the funnel mentality, and there's there's whole coaching companies and whole programs where you can just go sign up and pay them, and they'll create this funnel and they'll capture people in marketing and they'll pull them into your into your funnel, and then turn them into a client. You'll offer a product, <laughs> you'll offer a service, you'll offer something, right, that brings it full circle to where you get paid for them coming into that funnel, and. Is it possible that that over the past few years we've got a lot of people who have paid for those funnels, who have started these organizations without the Cecil experience? Well, I think without the I think no matter what you do, no matter what business you're in, whether it's marketing, I mean, I probably get three to five marketing companies hitting me up a day. Right? Hey, we saw you online. You got a great presence, but we could help you bring more. We could create these funnels or whatever. Right. Right. And most of them are. They're not going to be good for you. Right. You got to do your research. You got to, you know, you got to pay attention to about ten percent, and then throw away ten, a hundred percent, ninety percent of that ten percent. Right. And so, so if if that's the case, how does a shop go about picking a good coach? Right. Because anybody can be a coach now. Right? I think one of the cool things today is that almost every coaching company has online material that you can go and. Okay. See, we have our gearforshops.com and we have, I don't know, a hundred or more kind of free 
five minute to 20 minute videos on different things and you mm-hmm. go and you look uh, I think you should sit in a class with that person first because yeah. you don't want to sign up for a long term contract with anybody right um, I I think you you talk to some of their clients and by the way no, no coaching company is 100% successful not Absolutely. everybody fits within your right. your world right yeah so we're, I would say we're 95, 96% successful. And usually the other 4 to 5% we chase away pretty quickly. So we, we've talked a lot about ethics, right? Mm-hmm. And so what, what are the, do you have a, a specific guideline or a specific? Do what's right. Okay. And, and right is, is moral, legal, and ethical. And, and by the way, that's an interesting thing. Ensure that everyone wins. Yeah. And, and that's another one of our foundation. We have five foundational principles for our business, and one of them is do what's right. Okay. And, and that's moral, ethical, and legally correct. Right. And, and legal is pretty simple. Right. Right. By the book of law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think ethical is also fairly simple. I think the moral thing becomes the harder thing because what I believe in may not be what you believe in. Right. Okay. So I may say, well, I think it's, I think if you're earning 26% net, you might be pushing it too hard. And I think maybe you're, you're squeezing your customers too, too hard. Right. I might say that, but another coach might go, look, if you do this right, you could do 28 or 30% and that's still fine. Right. And I think it's, it depends. So when we disagree with another company, we don't say they're wicked, they're evil, or they're bad. We say right. we don't agree with them in this situation. Right. And that right. doesn't mean that I'm the the end-all, be-all authority. Right. I mean, we'd have a different industry if I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was talking to Mike Allen. It's funny you bring that up, talking about net profit, right? And I was talking to Mike a little bit earlier, and he said, you know, he said, I, I feel a lot better right now. He said, I've lowered my net, but I've increased my gross pay to my employees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We in, Substantially. We, one of our fundamental principles is everybody wins. So I would tell you, every client we've ever worked with, when this is done and you're where you need to be, your employees are making 40 to 100% more. I mean, literally, I don't think there's anyone that we've worked with that's that's run the program where the employees aren't making 40% more than they started with. Are your people that, paid more today than they were oh, yeah. before you started coaching? Yeah, of course. Considerably, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, I'm paid more. Yeah. Right? And, and you know, I, the number of owners that aren't taking a paycheck. Oh, it's scary. And, and it's funny because they'll say, well, I made 8% net. And you look in there and you say, but there's no salary for you. You didn't take any money. And you work in the company. So when we put your 80000 for a year for what you do, then your company lost 2%. What should an owner be paid? Uh, it depends on what they do in the company. I would tell you, and it, it depends on the company. I mean, if you're doing 600000 you know, you might struggle to make 80000 If you're doing $3 million, you better be making a couple hundred thousand plus your net net. So pay on, you have a pay. Your pay is part of the fixed expenses, and then net net is on top of that. So, and and I think you know I ran a company for somebody else. I made about two hundred thousand as a general manager. The company did two point six million. The owner made eighteen percent net plus about one hundred and fifty thousand a year out of that, and I think that was really fair. Right, I right? agree. 
I agree. And and so, what do you say to the owner that's not paying himself? Why are you? Yeah, I think that I think that starts. What's the profit first mentality? Is part of that you got to pay yourself. I mean, if you can't if you can't take care of yourself, then you have no right to take care of anybody else. And and I think that a lot of people have been in my class, and this is seen. This is used against me, but I always talk about my rule number one. She still gets paid. <laughs> rule number one. Right. And, and I say, insert your name here. If I own the business, right. then I better get paid. Now, don't get me wrong. There have been times in my company, I mean, COVID was tough, and there was a yeah. couple of months where I was putting thousands back in and yeah. not taking anything out. Right. But I had the money to do that because I run a smart business. Right? Right. And then Kent is like, I need more money, Dad. Well, I mean, that's a little bit different, though. I mean, he's got a very, very expensive lifestyle. I Not do. really. I mean, if you, listen, if he wants to have a very expensive lifestyle. Fine dining. Listen, these, these $400 you know. squish shoes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know? The, the uh, six, $1,600 phone. They're necessary when you're pushing 300 pounds. Okay? Yeah. Boards are big. Yeah. <laughs> Terry? Uh, so you you sat here and you've listened to this. What do you think? Right? Like, you, you've got a completely different perspective. You're a technician. You sat here and listened to this conversation between a coach, a shop owner, and a, a coach's protege. Uh, what, what, are we, what are we calling him? Right arm. <laughs> He's my right arm. Protege is a good one. Right? What, what is, what's your takeaway, Terry? Um... Well, we talked about, you know, transparency. Um, I definitely think that that would be if more shops had that transparency where the technicians, as well as the service riders, had a better understanding of what actually is going on, you know, and seeing what potential there is. You know, I feel like everybody could work together a little better. Because like, like he mentioned earlier, Lucas had mentioned, I work in chain stores, and the dynamic is very different. You know, yeah, you, you yeah, don't yeah. know much about anything other than I need to get this car out, and they're all about pushing a certain number of cars. And every year, there's a percentage more they expect. You know, and that's just the way they work. And how realistic is that? That you're going to have twenty percent improvement every year, right? I mean, it's eventually going to flop. Yeah, like, you're going to get to a point where. You know, I mean, there's there's always going to be cars on the road. You know, the amount of cars on the road today is insane. But next year, I'm sure there'll be more. Yes, there will. There always will be. More people, more cars. That's how it works. Um, I got to dispel one myth just so that, because uh, I have to. I still believe that there are a lot of technicians out there that believe that the owner charging 140 and paying them 40 keeps 100 well, in the little bit that I have learned about Lucas and the business and just, you know, in conversations with others, there's a whole lot on the backside that most people don't know about that isn't cheap. Like you're talking about the, the insurance earlier, um, you know, putting away money for the business. You know, like you said, you need a minimum of three months. Operating you know, capital. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and that money has to come from somewhere. And, it, and it's not just beneficial for the business owner, but it's beneficial for the business and everyone who works within the business. Mm-hmm. The because average. if you guys can operate, like, you know, with COVID being as, as rough as it was, we didn't lose anybody because we yeah. ran a, a smart business. And during the downtimes, we were able to float that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I got to make some more money now so I can build that back yeah, up. Get it back but, up, right? But, <laughs> but you had that buffer when you needed it. Yeah, I think that's interesting. But you've had the you've had the you know chance to start to see those pieces, though, mm-hmm. right? You you've talked to Lucas. You've had an opportunity to look at how the business kind of runs and look at those back end things. There's got to be guys out there who don't understand. Still and, don't I, and I would I would. Well, think, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I understand it, but you're just having to. a glimpse. Yeah. You know, makes me realize there's a whole lot more to this puzzle than what i know yeah and if you're if you're a tech out there thinking of i want to run my own shop not not a problem but take some financial classes business classes that are specific to automotive because automotive is a little different animal than everything else yeah and uh whether it's me or uh bill haas or you know whoever that you choose that fits your personality get some help because you know i have guys that came in when they were just a single shop owner and three years later they're doing a million two and keeping 20 percent plus a good salary right and i have a lot of there's a lot of guys in our industry that just struggle and struggle and struggle and really it's it's about knowledge it's yeah. not a, it's not hard to run a profitable shop, but you have to right. know how to run a profitable shop. Definitely, and and I, I think that you know we, we go back to that group that I was talking about, right? Because they they aren't sharing that, they aren't sharing the the work that goes into learning the financials. They're not sharing the financials. They're not sharing the liability. They're not sharing the risk. They're any just saying, group that doesn't look at your financials, I don't know how they can truly help you in your shop. Well, I mean they're they're over here saying that that. You know the technicians in that group say we should be paid fifty percent of the labor rate, and I'm like, if you if you get paid fifty percent of the labor rate before loaded, yeah, right? yeah, and then I got a thirty percent load on top. Now I'm broke. I'm out of business. Right? Exactly, can't 50% do it. Fifty percent labor rate days. I I got paid half for a long time, but somewhere in the '90s that changed and it got yeah. less and less. And if you're paying a percentage of labor rate now as an owner, you ain't doing the right thing for yourself or your employees. Frankly, what, then then what do we do? It's a, it's a, it's a com. I don't do the pay plans I build are combination pay plans. So there's a, a okay. reasonable base. So if I look at a position uh, in my shop, I'm going to do I don't know three million dollars, two million dollars, whatever it is. I have a certain amount of money for technicians. I have a certain amount of money for service advisors. So let's say I'm going to do two million. I'm going to have two service advisors. That gives me a little over hundred grand for each service advisor. About ten percent, right. maybe twelve, loaded. Right. So I'm going to give them forty or fifty thousand for showing up, hourly rate or right. salary, and then I'm going to build a bonus structure plan uh, somewhere around fifty thousand to sixty thousand. Because if I do more than two hundred, let's say I do two point four, I can actually afford to p- pay more bonuses. Right. So the better my shop does, the more I can pay my people, and I build those kind of pay plans that have those other upper tier things that would take somebody from say 80 to 120 what when when we start bringing in positions like managers managers and uh, support people are a cost of fixed expenses and i have to manage my fixed expenses and so how do we determine how to do that Uh, it depends on what that manager is doing you know and what the business is earning i mean anytime that you take on another expense so Lucas, you come to me and you say, hey, Cecil, I need some help. I think you're the guy to help me. Right. And I'm like, okay, sign on the dotted line. Give me a check, right? Right. The minute that I talk to you, I'm going to tell you to raise your labor rate to make up for the money that you're going to pay for me. 
Right. Okay. Or we have to find that money somewhere else in the business because right. money doesn't come out of thin air and it exactly. doesn't come out of your wallet because pretty soon the wallet's empty. Right. So, right. you know, a good coaching company is going to say, okay, you just took on this. Ex- I have a guy, really fun guy in Hawaii. He's been making 70, 60, 50,000 a year for several years. He's got a nine base shop. He's really a great Great guy. Right. right. I call him a kid, but he's not a kid. I mean, right. I'm, I'm old, so you're a kid to me, right? He's <laughs> still a kid, so, right? <laughs> so anyway, um, he comes on. He's got no point of sale, no website, um, no marketing whatsoever, and no accounting. Right. All right? So what's the first thing we need? First of all, he hires me. He's paying me. Right. So all of a sudden, he's got more money going out than he had right. coming in. Mm-hmm. So we need to raise labor aid or something. And then I'm like, you got to have a point of sale. Right. Can't manage an automotive business without a point of sale. A 500 bucks a month. And then I need I need a website. Right. Anywhere from 400 bucks a month for a year to two years or 5,000 down. Right. Yeah. And then you need some SEO, SEM on top of that. So now you're t- 1,200 a month. And now we also need an accountant because we don't even know what's going on in this business. We just right. know he ain't making no money. Right. Plus, if the IRS audits him, he's screwed. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, we, right away, we got $2,000 worth of additional expenses a month Yeah. for this this guy. And so it's like, okay, we're going to raise our labor rate this much. We're going to increase our productivity. we got to fix our parts margin. We're going to do better inspections, raise our average repair. Order. All the things that we do. Right. And this he came on board January, February, March of this year, mm-hmm. April probably. By the time he got on board, made fifty-eight thousand last year. Mm-hmm. Our biggest problem right now is we're going to make about three hundred thousand dollars in profit, and we're going to have to pay some taxes. And right. so we're working with the accountant and figuring out how do we, you know, Where do what's best exactly to create wealth for the for the right. guy. But you know, that's you don't. You don't take on additional expense like a manager without then figuring out how you're going to pay for that manager as a part of fixed expenses. Got it. Okay. And how are they going to affect the bottom line? Mm. Yeah, if I bring a manager on it, one of two things has to happen. Either I'm going to not work that much and some of my money is going to go over there. Right. Or uh, he's got to increase the bottom line in the production. And then that's going to help pay for that person. Absolutely. Okay. I love it. Love you, brother. Love you, buddy. Okay. And that was awesome. Thank you. You nailed it. Terry, you got anything to say? No. We got the side eye. (laughs) You know you're in trouble when he raises one eye and closes the other. Does he? That's the, the, like, I'm there. You got me? That's the I'm asleep over here. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.